The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. The impasse at OPEC sending oil prices on a wild ride near six-year highs. And gasoline prices likely going up as well. Can they get a deal? An interview with Saudi Energy Minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman ahead. China keeps cracking down on big tech, shares getting hammered. We speak with an early investor in one such company, Didi. Next, a national security priority. President Biden taking new action to face the growing risk of cyber threats on American companies as yet another key institution says it was hacked. Fire up the jet as media moguls descend on Sun Valley Will the post-COVID conference be another big dealmaker this year? And do you think that real estate is hot in your town? Well, we've got a list of the 10 hottest markets in America. Some, they may surprise you. It is Wednesday, July 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's get right now to the markets and your money futures. Well, they are mixed, kind of just like the trend we had yesterday, where stocks, the S&P anyway, snapped a seven-day win streak, but big technology remained bought. That's what we're seeing now. We're seeing Dow futures down five, NASDAQ futures, they are up 53. NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 posting all-time record highs at the close. By the way, we are watching tech again. Now, technology may be up as bond yields come down. Remember Guggenheim's Scott Minard's call, very contrarian, made right here on this show a few months ago, that yields on the 10-year would drop. Almost nobody agreed. Well, that call looks like it is holding true right now, as the 10-year ticking to its lowest level since late February. We are at 134%. And obviously, we've got to check oil as well with all that is going on. Now, oil is a little bit higher right now in the mid to high $73 a barrel range. But Tuesday morning, hitting its highest price in six years. The world markets watching OPEC and Russia and whether that group can indeed come together and get a deal to put more oil on the market. We have a big interview coming up in a few minutes. You'll hear from Saudi Energy Minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman on where exactly OPEC and OPEC Plus stands right now. He made some headlines. Well, there is news and headlines outside of oil, including media moguls all jetting into Sun Valley, Idaho, for the annual Allen & Company conference. Let's get more now on that. Some of the other big headlines of the morning. Seema Modi is here with us. Seema, what do you got for us? Good morning. Brian, good morning. Yes, as media moguls gather once again in Sun Valley, Idaho this week, Discovery CEO Davis Laslov, fresh from his announced acquisition of AT&T Film and TV Businesses, said media consolidation will only accelerate and he intends to be a catalyst. Zaslav speaking with our Julia Borston yesterday. 
I think the talk of the week is going to be the, you know, the industry is probably going to start consolidating. Uh, Brian's built a great company. Um, Jeff's doing a great job at Universal. Uh, so we're not done yet. You know, we're looking to get this deal done, and then we're going to see. Speaking of deals, Hello Sunshine, the media company founded by actress Reese Witherspoon, is reportedly exploring a sale, according to the Wall Street Journal. The company, which is behind productions like Apple TV's The Morning Show and HBO's Big Little Lies, began pursuing a sale in recent months after receiving interest from multiple suitors, including Apple, with sources telling the journal the company could be valued at as much as $1 billion. And Samsung expects a 53% rise in operating profit for the second quarter thanks to strong demand for memory chips that offset weaker device sales hurt by component shortages. The world's largest smartphone and memory chip maker forecasts an operating profit of about $11 billion for the quarter that ended June 30th. Samsung projecting revenue up 19% from the prior year. Brian. Seema Modi, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Well, the other hot topic lately is crypto and why it has been so weak over the last, well, few weeks. For more now, we're joined by Mark Yusko. He is CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Morgan Creek Capital. And, you know, Mark, we try to take a long view on this show because if you go day to day, number one, you're going to drive yourself insane. Number two, you're going to miss important macro and long term trends. So I could frame this two ways. I could say, well, Mark, Bitcoin is down $30,000 since its April high. Or I could say, Mark, we're still up 10000 from where they were in the middle of December. What do you see as the longer term trend for Bitcoin? Yeah, Brian, you're, you're exactly right. It, it is all about perspective and, and zooming out. Uh, if you think about the, the long term trend, which is exactly the right place to look, uh, we're still in a very positive a uh, set of circumstances. You have fundamentals that are improving. Uh, the use cases for crypto broadly and, and Bitcoin specifically are rising. We've seen a, a country make Bitcoin a, a legal tender, uh, an actual currency. Uh, I think that trend will continue. And I think this, this idea of a global borderless, which is perfect for this show, talking to the world. Uh, I love your, your uh, opening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It really is not just about the United States. It's about global. So global activity in Bitcoin broadly is continuing to rise, uh, although there are pockets of of uh, concern. You know, the China ban on miners, uh, they'll pop up in other places around the world. But this idea of a borderless asset, I think, is is really powerful for the world. Yeah. And in fact, our, our next guest in the next segment, Mark, is going to talk about China's crackdown on big technology companies as well. It has not just been crypto. You know, you've had that. You've had some liquidity issues. You've probably had some people buying some of the cryptos, not just Bitcoin on margin as well. Perhaps all of this shaking out to be the perfect storm. I don't like all these terms, laser eyes and paper hands. But if I was going to use them, I would say is right now where the Paper hands, the weak holders, by the way, are they the ones being shaken out? Do you see sort of that getting flushed out of the system for a better fall and winter? Yeah, it's, a, again, a really important point. Uh, great insights there on, on exactly what happened over the last couple months as we had a global ebbing of this just huge tidal wave of, of liquidity 
Global M2 growth has slowed over the last couple of months. And, and what you had is like you have in all speculative phases of, of markets, which we had after the just massive liquidity printed by global central banks around the world in response to the lockdowns. Uh, that money flowed into lots of assets, including crypto assets and Bitcoin and others. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people, um, I, would, I would categorize them as the paper hands you described, bought not just the asset, but bought on massive leverage, up to 100 times leverage. And it's very, very healthy for those accounts to get shut down. Over a couple million accounts got closed uh, in April and May. And, and I think that's very healthy. In fact, you know, last time you and I were together uh, on this show at this time in the morning, uh, we were talking about Doge, right? And I said it was one of the uh, problems <laughs> with the markets broadly. It was everything that was wrong with the markets. And it's down about twice as much uh, percentage terms as, as Bitcoin. I mean, I've not twice, about one and a half times as much as Bitcoin. And, and I think that's a good example of getting back to healthy and getting assets allocated back to the healthier projects. And there's so much going on under the hood as well, Mark. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds, especially not, you know, like 509 or whatever it is in the morning, which is, you know, we talked about Ethereum a few weeks ago going from proof of work to proof of stake. You've got concerns over energy usage in miners. Everybody wants to trade these cryptos the same way. They are extremely different. You know, an EOS and an Ether and a Tether and a Bitcoin, they're similar in some ways, but they're very different in others. Are there any others you've, you're have you watching more specifically, maybe not investing in, but watching as an indicator besides BTC? Yeah, I know that, again, really important. Uh, if you think about what these are, right? These are protocols. They are protocols which are building out the internet of value or, or Web 3.0. And just like the internet, where we started with 80, protocols. And now we have five. We have TCP IP. We have HTTP. We have SMTP. We have FTP for files. And we have www. This ties everything together. The same thing is happening in all of these protocols in the crypto stack. And we have Bitcoin at the base layer. I think we'll probably have Filecoin to replace FTP. Maybe we get Polkadot or Cosmos as one of those uh, other primary layers. Mm. And then we have Ethereum as the www. is kind of the, the thing that ties everything together in, in the web. All the other coins that people look at are utility tokens. They're not really cryptocurrencies. They don't have a claim on cash flows. They don't have a claim on equity. And they are speculative venture capital projects. The vast majority, 98, 99% of them go to zero, literally go to zero. But the one or 2% that survive will be amazing projects. Now, you have to be really strong technically to understand them, and you have to really dive into them thinking that they are venture capital investments, not speculative day trading currencies. Wow. Yeah, you think maybe more than 90% go away, but but the ethers of the world, perhaps the, the, the polka dots, the cosmoses of the world, they stick around. Mark Yusko, probably the most uh, technically adept discussion on cryptos at 510 Eastern time in the morning. That's unless people just stayed awake that has ever been had. Mark, we appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Sully. Great to be with you. All right. Very much. Maybe Mark did stay awake. I can assure you I did not. All right. When we come back, China's government cracking down on big tech shares of some companies getting absolutely crushed. 
So what happens now? Well, a big early investor in some of these companies is here. Board that window up. Florida bracing for the brunt of Tropical Storm Elsa as it barrels up the state. We'll get a live track ahead. And later, our one-on-one with Saudi Energy Minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman. His take on the spat with the UAE, the state of play for the global energy markets, and whether a deal will get done. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome or welcome back. Well, it has certainly been a brutal run for many China-based company stocks in America. From newly listed Didi to Tencent to Alibaba, shares of some of these companies getting slammed 20% or more, like Didi did yesterday. All this is Beijing stepping up scrutiny on companies like Didi. They are concerned that some of them are getting too big, and maybe thus too dangerous for privacy reasons. Look at that move yesterday in some of these names. China's continued focus on the U.S.-listed companies, prompting new comments from Florida Senator Marco Rubio, a known policy hawk when it comes to China. Rubio telling the Financial Times, quote, It was reckless and irresponsible to allow an unaccountable Chinese company to sell shares on the New York Stock Exchange. Rubio adding, quote, even if the stock rebounds, American investors still have no insight into the company's financial strength because the Chinese Communist Party blocks U.S. regulators from reviewing the books. That puts the investments of American retirees at risk and funnels desperately needed U.S. dollars into Beijing. Joining us now is MSA Capital Managing Partner Ben Harburg, who is an investor, an early investor in Didi and others. Uh, Ben, obviously, Senator Rubio is a policy hawk. He has taken shots at China before, so uh, maybe you could tamp down some of the lines. But his point, I think, is clear, which is companies, not just recently, but five years ago, 10 years ago, have been wiped out along with shareholders. What is your take on the state right now of investing in a China-based company listed in the United States? I think it's, it's uh, pretty convenient. And oftentimes we see the pundits on both sides of the aisle and, and in the media and, and in asset management space kind of taking advantage of an opportunity like this to seize upon it for their own purposes. And so this was a convenient headline that uh, many, like Senator Rubio, jumped on to point out the uh, lack of predictability around companies that are listed on the U.S. exchanges. Uh, The reality is that the actions taken by the Chinese government with regard to Didi and some of those other named 
entities uh, are in an effort to better regulate them to protect privacy and to root out some of the very items that uh, American regulators had complained about for years. And so obviously the actions taken by uh, by the Chinese state over the last few days Uh, didn't happen overnight. They were actually probably years in the making and coincided with the 100th anniversary of the CPC. Um, Those actions are taken, frankly, and and through the statements, if you translate them and read them, in an effort to better regulate financial markets, to better um, provide for transparency to businesses, which they didn't feel those companies were meeting. Uh, They felt that data privacy wasn't being protected to the level that they are now raising it to. And so as a result, uh, those actions were taken. But, but there, you know, there have been issues in the past. By the way, Ben, there have been issues around the world. There's been fraudulent companies in the United States. There's been fraudulent companies in Europe. There's been, I mean, it's, it's, this is not a country-specific problem. This is probably a greed-specific problem. But how much of hap- what's happening right now with a DD or some others comes back to luck and coffee? Okay, the scam company there that grew. You know, they're adding hundreds of stores or whatever a week. Everybody was rah-rahing them. They're the new Starbucks. Suddenly you realize... Everything was a house of cards. Does this come back to kind of the embarrassment for really the nation over Luckin? I think it certainly was one of the drivers. I think there was a loss of face there. And I think that there's an intent to avoid future events like Luckin. And so as a result, the regular is going to be overly cautious and uh, work, as I said, to root out equity market fraud. If you look at the Chinese regulator's statement, the majority of the points were around that issue. Data privacy and cross-border data flows uh, were very much secondary to that. But that is the root of this. And, and again, these are preventative measures to avoid the exact types of events that Senator Rubio is fearing uh, from occurring again in the future. So how do you and your team figure this out. Obviously, no investing is perfect. My venture capital friends and contacts, they'll invest in 10 companies. You hope that one, maybe two if you're lucky, hit it big. What are some of the ways that you guys now filter out these names? How do you make sure? Because there is some limited disclosure for some of these companies. How do you figure out you're, you're getting what you think you're getting? So I think first, we, we work very hard to avoid the regulatory gray zone. So certainly over the last couple of years, we intentionally avoided the education space, which is one where we still, still believe the policy has not been fully fomented. And so as a result, uh, unclear where the wind will blow there. Uh, we instead favor sectors where there is more clarity, uh, typically where it's not always consumer facing and where there's a, a greater degree of privacy and protection and, and the businesses operate on a B2B basis. Um, and, and certainly then we encourage our entrepreneurs to engage in regular dialogue with the regulators, because as I said, these things don't happen overnight. These winds were blowing from long ago. And so if those dialogues are happening on a frequent basis, they can get a sense of where they need to take actions. And so Didi specifically is a company that flaunted regulations and didn't make course corrections when they were advised to do so by the, by the Chinese government. Other companies in our portfolio were much quicker to react and as a result didn't see similar mm-hmm. uh, regulatory interference. All right. Very important topic and a good discussion there. Ben Harburg, MSA Capital. Ben, we appreciate your time. A lot of DD stockholders here in America are hoping for that turn. Ben, we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. All right. On deck. Goodbye, gasoline. An iconic luxury car brand says goodbye to gas with one last hurrah. We'll give you that story and more. Dow Futures up to 29. Oil, speaking of, up just a touch as well. And we are back right after this. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check down on some of this morning's other headlines, including the very latest on Tropical Storm Elsa, which is hammering parts of Florida. NBC's Philip Men is in New York with that and more. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Brian, good morning. Elsa may have been downgraded to a tropical storm, but it's still packing a punch. Earlier in the night, the storm regained Category 1 hurricane strength before losing some intensity as it turned offshore. That system is moving near Tampa Bay, and its outer bands have been hammering cities along the Gulf Coast with strong winds and torrential rain. Flooding and dangerous storm surges remain major threats this morning. There are even tornado watches in place. Despite winning the 100-meter dash at the Olympic trials, Shakari Richardson won't be running in Tokyo. After testing positive for marijuana and receiving a 30-day suspension from the sport, Richardson was left off Team USA's Olympic track and field roster. In a statement, USA Track and Field said it supports reevaluating rules on marijuana use. Richardson has vowed to come back to the sport stronger. And here's someone to root for. Bucks fans are welcoming Cameron Kinley. The Naval Academy graduate will now be allowed to pursue a career in the NFL. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin granted the rookie cornerback permission that came after his initial request was denied. So after his football career is done, Brian, he will be welcomed back into the ranks as a Naval officer. Kind of like David Robinson, if you remember all those years back. Uh, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, we've had this perhaps in other sports, obviously with the captain, David Robinson, leading those great Spurs teams of the 80s and 90s. So good on the Naval Academy as well. Just kind of flipping the script, give the kid a chance while he is young and, uh, and ready to go. Very cool. Let's see how he does. Philip yeah. Mena, thank you. All right. All right. Ahead, our one-on-one with Saudi Energy Minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman about where OPEC really stands right now. We ask him. Are negotiations ongoing? His answer ahead. Is gas going to hit $5 a gallon? Global markets on edge as OPEC stalls on getting a deal done to add more oil to the market. Our one-on-one conversation with Saudi Arabia's energy minister ahead. Cybercrime on the rise. Another big hack hitting companies and now... President Biden set to act, but what can really be done against Russia? And get that banker on the phone, because everybody wants to go public right now. The latest company trying to get in on the IPO boom is this Wednesday, July 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning, 528 on the East Coast. A lot to do. So let's get right to it. Here's how your money and the global markets are looking right now. As we're about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Futures, well, they are just about halfway mixed, I guess, or actually now a little bit stronger. Remember, futures at this hour. And hold on, I'm not discounting looking at the futures right now. That would kind of, you know, blow up our entire show coverage. But do remember that volumes tend to get much heavier, much more active as the morning goes on. So sometimes what you see at 5 a.m., may not be what you get at 8 a.m. Either way, 
we are seeing now futures coming up a bit. Dow futures, NASDAQ futures are higher. And I think what's interesting about that number, and if you're on the radio, I'll tell you, NASDAQ futures up 61, Dow futures up 30. So NASDAQ futures are up twice as much as Dow futures, despite, of course, being a much smaller number. Now, stocks coming off a mixed session that saw the Dow and the S&P snap their respective win streaks on Tuesday, but technology remains strong. The NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100, posting yet another record high at the close, and it looks like, at least in the early indication, we could get the same thing today. All this, by the way, as bond yields continue to fall. Remember, on this very show just a couple of months ago, Guggenheim Scott Miner came out and said, I think bond yields are going to fall. They could end the year maybe below 1%. I mean, pretty much everybody said, what's that Miner guy been drinking? Because nobody was calling for lower yields, maybe except for him. Well, guess what? Since that appearance, and by the way, he also called Bitcoin losing 50% of its value in April. And that's exactly what happened. The benchmark 10-year note has come down significantly now at 1.35%. I guess, by the way, you want to find an upside. It helps technology stocks. Low yields make valuations more attractive. And if you want to buy a home or refinance, mortgage rates are likely to tick back down based on that move. All right. A lot more in the markets and your money coming up. But now to some of this morning's other top stories, including the latest on the U.S.'s response to that massive ransomware attack. Seema Modi is back with details on that. Seema. Brian, we will start right there. President Biden set to meet with federal officials today to discuss how to combat the growing threat of cyber attacks like the one this past weekend on software company Kaseya. The White House is calling the issue a national and economic security priority. The administration says that another meeting on the matter is expected to take place next week between the U.S. and Russia. This comes as Bloomberg reports hackers from the Russian government-backed group known as Cozy Bear Breach, the computer systems of the Republican National Committee last week. In a statement, the RNC says in part that none of its data was accessed. Authentic Brands is going public. This is the parent company of apparel chains, Barney's, New York, Aeropostale, Forever 21, and more, filing the paperwork for its IPO yesterday. As CNBC has reported, the firm is targeting a valuation of about $10 billion. And disputes over mask mandates, well, proving to be one of the biggest issues facing airlines as more people return to flying. The FAA says that since the beginning of this year, it has received more than 3,200 reports of unruly behavior by passengers. Roughly 75% of those cases involve people refusing to comply with federal mask mandates. Continues to be an issue. Brian, back to you. Oh, okay, but Seema, hold on, because you and I, I think you and I have flown as much or more than, than pretty much anybody that, that we know in the last nine months. I've seen some of these mask fights, but mostly what they are, tell me what you think, is number one, a lot of little kids, two and three-year-olds, the parents are frustrated, they're fighting with the kids. And number two, I've had very different experiences on planes where if you want to eat, can you keep it down the whole time you're eating, or is it literally pull it down, shove food in your mouth, pull it up? And I've seen passengers kind of nitpick on that. Is that, is that kind of what you've seen, or just have you just seen straight-up arguing, fighting? I 
personally have not seen uh, these sort of mask outrage moments on on air um, or on a plane when I've tra traveled in the last couple months, Brian. I think what it really comes down to is there's just different rules now around wearing a mask, right? When you enter a grocery store or enter or a, enter a store where you want to buy clothes or get on a plane, right? There's just different rules. And I think that's confusing passengers and customers in general. And that's why you're seeing some yeah. people uh, get a little mad about it. But if it's a rule, you got to follow it. That's 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 what it is. That's right. The place not to argue is a giant aluminum tube at 35,000 feet. Just yeah, put the mask on. Exactly. Get Just to go where you're it. going and have a cocktail. Seema Modi, thank you very much. All right. Meantime, it is day six of the OPEC impasse. The group unable to come together so far and agree on a deal that would put more new barrels of oil on the global market. If a new production deal is not done, there are questions about what happens to the current agreement and whether it still holds or it becomes more of an oil free-for-all and prices tumble. Tuesday, we had the privilege of speaking with Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, the energy minister of Saudi Arabia. And I began by asking him if there were any current ongoing OPEC negotiations. Not that I know of, uh, but, uh, you know, we have our monthly meetings. Uh, uh, it is very important, crucially important, uh, that uh, uh, when uh, uh, when we f close the meeting yesterday, uh, uh, I don't see anybody on Friday who did not mention mention uh, straightforward uh, their commitment to the existing agreement. Uh, many people, I've seen some interpretations here and there uh, yesterday and probably today that they are talking about, I don't know what, what would be their ultimate reason, uh, but uh, I do not recall anybody, be it on Thursday or Friday or even in our uh, discussion bilaterally with some members, that anybody had, had uttered the word that uh, we don't have an agreement. We have an agreement and it will continue until uh, April. And more important, I think uh, it would be of the interest of everybody that we stretch it uh, more uh, for the rest of 22 to ensure that we can, down, you know, can download these volumes in a meticulous uh, way to ensure that we would not disturb the market. So is it fair to say, Your Royal Highness, that the next time that you might address adding barrels to the market will be at a meeting in August? Well, it could be. Uh, uh, it could be. And we just, I think we owe it, you know, let's remember, and I keep remind, reminding uh, uh, those who listened uh, to us here in Saudi Arabia, that it was uh, Saudi Arabia who brought up this proposal. Uh, yes, we worked through the details with our colleagues in Russia. Alexander and I had spent uh, almost the last five weeks, uh, just just about when I, when I was with him in St. Petersburg. Uh, it was there we, we, we started looking at the details of our proposals. And we also socialized it with some of our colleagues too in terms of the principles so, yes, uh, we have every interest to bring uh, barrels, uh, uh, the sooner the better, the better. Yes, we need to do it in a very diligent way, careful way, and 
uh, we worked hard in developing our mechanism. You know, the monthly meeting is, is a new. You were complimentary uh, about it. The adjustment mechanism is, is a good safety valve for the market because it enabled us, and we did exercise it. You remember, uh, originally uh, the two million should have come in one day, uh, and then we stretched it for four months. And then we even, as Saudi Arabia, brought uh, more uh, in the form of voluntary cut, which is to try to facilitate uh, putting these two million in tranches instead of one go. Uh, doing all of the above, bringing uh, inventory level to as low as they are today, we need to have volume now to cope uh, with the uh, current season uh, and we have to mitigate uh, what we need to do uh, in terms of this particular quarter yet we have to be careful not to overdo it uh, you know not doing it uh, is not being careful overdoing it is also uh, being uh, not careful because we still have these things uh, going and we have no certainty about it especially Iran and COVID, and also because we have a first quarter that usually demand our inventory get to be built. Uh, so uh, tranquilizing all of these things and balancing this, you know, your act to ensure that we, uh, we do it and we do it properly, this way we attend to the consumer requirement and yet we don't abandon the stability and sustainability that a producer requires. Uh, and I when, I talk, when I talk about producer, I talk about everybody, including the industry. I think you're wrong, Highness, that the issue with the market is they're concerned that while it is maybe a very, very small chance, there is a concern that uh, the current agreement could be broken. Uh, that there could be a splintering and sort of a every producer for itself mentality again uh, that happened last year that you brought under control. Uh, but what would you say to those who are concerned about the current deal not being held? The, the very basic argument is that in March uh, uh, 2020, uh, that agreement by the end of that month would have concluded. So actually, uh, in March 6, we were trying to work out a new agreement. In this one, no, we still have a nine-month period. Uh, uh, and therefore, I have uh, no qualms in my mind that uh, I can speak now for Saudi Arabia, uh, that we have no single doubt in our minds that we will uh, live to this agreement to the letter. Uh, I have heard from so many of our colleagues uh, I, in fact, I don't recall any that did not uh, 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 repeatedly uh, stress the commitment of this, uh, to this agreement. So comparing what was happening in 2020, March 2020, and what, uh, what is uh, the story now, I don't think there is that any type of similarity. So to recap, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman saying that if no new deal is reached, the current deal should still be in force, meaning more new barrels of oil are unlikely to come to the market in a month or more, something that could put upward pressure on oil prices. 
Well, that was just part of our long and wide-ranging conversation with His Royal Highness Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman. You can see more on CNBC.com later on today. And one thing that is important but came at the very end of the interview as we wrapped up, he said, Brian, trust us, we will deliver. So that is a big message from the biggest name in the oil world. All right, let's stay now on this topic and welcome in Martin Ratz. He is global oil strategist and head of European oil and gas equity research at Morgan Stanley. Martin, obviously, that was just part of the interview. Uh, There was a lot there. What was your takeaway from uh, His Royal Highness's comments? Um, I think um, what I took away from that is that um, this is a situation where ultimately I think cooler heads will prevail. Um, There's quite a bit of time before this really becomes an issue. I've actually been a little surprised that this issue about the extension in April next year is already uh, on the table. But we have another nine months or so uh, before this issue uh, needs to uh, be sorted out. A lot can happen uh, in nine months. OPEC has been around for 60 years. This is not the first time that a country has asked for its quota to be revised. And also you have to ask the question, um, does, this, does this type of tension really um, reach the level of sort of gravity that should um, um, allow OPEC to let this snowball into a full sort of free-for-all um, market share competition? Because at the other end of a free-for-all market share competition situation lies another deal. Uh, we, we all know that. So um, there's going to be a deal of some sort uh, anyway. I think all the, all the main parties sort of know this. There is time to sort this out. I think in yeah. the end, the solution will be, will be reached. There are three possible outcomes, Martin. I'm going to ask you to play a little game with us, but it certainly is no game because global prices and gasoline prices are maybe the outcome of this. But here are the three possible outcomes. As I see them, you tell me what you think. Number one, uh, OPEC does come together. They ratified this 400,000 more barrels a day. Maybe they put the extension, the deadline, the baseline on the side. That deal gets done to add more barrels. Option two, nothing gets done. But as you heard uh, Abdul Aziz bin Salman say, that means the current deal is in force. No new barrels on the market. Or the third option, which is unlikely, but that OPEC splinters. UAE maybe leaves OPEC or decides to do it at once anyway. Other countries do the same. This free-for-all, every country for itself mentality takes hold. How would you handicap each of those three possible scenarios? Yeah, good one. Um, all right. This is quite a sort of interesting, um, interesting thought process. Um, look, I think it's worth sort of mentioning again that the, the deal of plus 2 million barrels a day between August and December that that the deal between now and year end had pretty much, as far as I can see, unanimous support from everybody, including the UAE. Um, so that seems quite likely to me that over the, over that type of time frame, that that will ultimately be the outcome. Um, it's a fine amount of oil. It will keep the market reasonably tight. Oil prices supported. Everybody seems to be agreeing it, uh, uh, supporting it. There seems to be very little reason why that should um, not be ratified. The mm-hmm. other scenario where um, there is no agreement, but people stick to the deal. Yeah, that might hold for a short while, but ultimately that is a problematic scenario um, because the oil market will tighten and tighten and tighten as, the, as time goes by. We think based on the inventory data that we can see over the last couple of months, we've already been around about 2.2 million barrels a day undersupplied, which is a very significant number. We put demand growth between now and year end as another plus three or so. So you're opening up quite a big gap. If wow. there is no OPEC oil, oil goes, oil prices will go higher and higher. And at some point, I think it would be reasonable to expect that compliance will then deteriorate. So 
that will then be uh, quite a, 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 a small, uh, that, that scenario has a small it, likelihood. I think the free yeah. for all, like, we, I think we, we all go. know how it ends. In the end, that, that will end up with a deal anyway. So I, I don't think that that has a great degree of likelihood um, either. I think that first scenario is much more possible. Okay, good news maybe for the oil market, because as you know, Martin, there is no cure for high prices like high prices. It encourages people to cheat on their output quotas. Martin, we gotta get, we'll get you back on very soon. We appreciate your view. Thank you very much. All right. Thank Coming you. up, do you think the real estate market in your town is hot? You got nothing. We're going to show you the 10 tightest markets in America. But as we head to break, some of your other top headlines. Heliogen teaming up with a SPAC to go public. Heliogen is a big solar power firm but merged with Athena Technology, valuing the company at $2 billion. Nikola shareholders shooting down an executive pay proposal. The plan, which included a salary bonus and stock awards, proposed amid ongoing probes by regulators and prosecutors. They said no thanks. And Lotus has unveiled what it's calling its last hurrah before switching over to EVs. The Emira, a mid-engine sports car, will go on sale next spring. It'll start at around 85000 bucks. Good-looking car, probably a little tight over six feet. We're back in a moment. Time now for your morning RBI. And today it's about everybody's favorite topic. No, not Bitcoin or Elon Musk. Real estate and more windows into this ridiculously red hot market around America. And if you think that your city or town is hot, did it even make the list? Because there is a list. Realtor.com put together the 10 real estate markets where homes are selling the fastest for the time they are listed. And out of 250 metro areas they analyzed, here are the top three where demand is vastly greater than supply. Number three, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Homes sell in just 12 days on average for an average price of $494,000. Second best housing market in America, lovely Manchester, New Hampshire, where homes stayed up for sale for just 10 days Sold for just under $400,000. Home to Seth Meyers, by the way. And the single tightest housing market in America, Ogden, Utah. Homes in Ogden staying on the market for just eight days, one day over a week. And they're not cheap either. According to Realtor.com, selling for an average of $489,000. Wow. There's your top three. And notice that even though we talk a ton about how Austin, Texas is hot, notice that Austin, as hot as it is, only came in at eighth place. Right in front of Topeka, but behind trailer capital of America, Elkhart, Indiana. And look at number 10. You go, Rochester, New York. Random, but interesting. All right, as we had to break, if you have not already, follow our podcast. If you missed the show any day of the week or you're in the car or on the plane, whatever, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcasting apps. We will be right back. All right, welcome back. Well, if you are looking for stock picks and unique ideas from one of the best in the business and who isn't, be sure to sign up for a special conversation on CNBC Pro at 1 p.m. Eastern time today. I'll be speaking with T. Rowe Price's David Giroux, who has made some fantastic stock calls in the past, get his macro views and specific stock picks. Still time to sign up. Go to cnbc.com slash pro slash talks. 1 p.m. Eastern time today, although I promised. I said to David, no ties. All right, now to another really smart guy named David, who's also made some amazing calls over the past number of years. For him, it's all about value, value, value. That is David Katz, 
Chief Investment Officer of Matrix Asset Advisors. David, I'm going to get you on the spot. When do we get you onto one of these 45-minute-long pro events? Let's Rather than four minutes. Give me a call on game. I'd love to do it. That's hooked. That's how it works. David Katz, we're going to give you a call this afternoon. But in the meantime, let's talk now. And I'm looking through some of your ideas, and I noticed a theme. They're all financials, but they're not the names that people think of all the time. Truist, Bank of New York. Tell us about them. So basically, the banking group has started out very strong this year. They had wonderful capital returns last week. They uh, raised the dividends across the board, a lot of share buybacks. But the stocks have sold off in the last two weeks based upon interest rates coming lower. We think that's a great opportunity to step in and really build some positions of financials. There are a lot of good things going on, and you're getting the great prices with great yields. So we would be buying into this weakness in a fairly significant way. Even as 10-year yields have ticked down from their highs, and maybe they don't move to two by the end of the year like so many think, even if they stay at 1.4, 1.6, can those companies you mentioned, David, still do well? Even if they stay down here, the companies will do well because their loan portfolios are very good. They're buying back a great deal of stock. Bank of New York, for example, is buying back 13% of the stock, and we think they're going to do that at a reasonable clip. The other part of the story, however, is we don't think that rates are going to stay down here. The economy is coming back very strong. Inflation is definitely kicking in. We hope that it's transitory, but at a minimum, it is kicking in and should be three, three and a half percent level. Uh, and there is a tremendous government spending and deficit. All of those things should push rates higher. And we think ultimately, whether it's one month, six months or nine months, rates are going to be going up. The stocks are going to react or the bank stocks are going to react in advance to that. Uh, so we think you're getting them at a great price before uh, interest rates move higher and these stocks move significantly higher. What do you make everybody rushing back into technology stocks, David? Uh, we think that it's going to be relatively short-lived. Value has done exceptionally well since last October. It has pulled back in the last month, and growth and technology has had a great run. Uh, we think it's going to be a pause that refreshes on the value side, so we would be buying value stocks into that weakness. We own a lot of uh, technology companies. We own Microsoft and Apple and Google and Facebook. They've had a great run in the last year. They've had a great run in the last month. In terms of our overall portfolio, we like them, but we don't think they're going to be the greatest contributors or leaders in the back half of the year. We think other areas that have not done as well are going to start to yeah. play catch up. So we like technology, but we would not be jumping uh, all in here. Yeah, maybe kind of a short term. Ah, yields are going down. Let's run back into the technology names. But David Katz says focus long term, stay focused. Bank of New York, Truist, and some others. David Katz, we're also going to give you a call about the CNBC Pro event. We're not kidding. David, thank you very much. I look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. All right, David, so do I. Thank you very much. And we'll have one today at 1 p.m. Eastern time, by the way. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange this morning. Squawk of the gang, picking up all your coverage next. Have a great Wednesday. We will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. 
So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.